Let's jump into our reading today, guys. We're going to be in Matthew 3, verses 13 through 17. Uh, we're starting in verse 13. It says, Then Jesus went from Galilee to the Jordan River to be baptized by John. But John tried to talk him out of it. I am the one who needs to be baptized by you, he said. So why are you coming to me? But Jesus said, It should be done, for we must carry out all that God requires. So John agreed to baptize him. After his baptism, as Jesus came up out of the water, the heavens were opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and settling on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my dearly loved Son, who brings me great joy. This is the gospel of Christ. Let's pray. God, we thank you, uh, as we do each week for this room, we thank you for a safe and warm place uh, to come together um, to be in your presence. And so we believe you're here and we're grateful for that. And so um, we ask that in the next few moments that you would, um, that you would send your spirit here, that you would delight us and surprise us, that you remind us that music and laughter and hope are the language of heaven. Uh, I pray that we learn more of you in our moments together, more of ourselves in light of you in our moments together. We thank you for who you are and for the ways that you love us. In your name we pray, amen. All right, so last week um, we introduced Epiphany. Epiphany is the season uh, in the church calendar where we are looking at stories of Jesus. So we're taking a really intentional focus at looking uh, at stories that maybe, if you've been around the church for very long, are super familiar to you, uh, stories you might have read more than once or more than a dozen times. Um, and we're kind of, um, epiphany means to shine through. So we're looking at these stories uh, with new eyes or fresh eyes, allowing God's Spirit to surprise us in the stories. Um, and so as we uh, get into that, I want to tell you about one of the most um, surprising and unexpected nights of my life. Um, I think I've told this story before. I can't remember if I've told it in this room. So if you've heard it before, don't stop me because I love it. So, um, but <laughs> probably 10 years ago, Daniel and uh, Brad and I were invited to a concert uh, by our friend Rob. And um, just sort of a little backstory before we get to the concert. Uh, Rob is a really good friend of ours, uh, mine and Daniel's, and Brad's from high school. Rob is actually how I met Daniel, which is a different story for another day. Um, but uh, Rob, so Rob, after college, went to medical school at Georgetown uh, because he's a smarty pants. And um, so he goes to me medical school, and when he finished medical school, he did something that is really unexpected, I think, in the medical school community, and that is uh, he decided after graduating from medical school and acquiring medical school knowledge and medical school debt that he just wasn't sure he wanted to actually be a doctor. And um, so he just decided not to be, which you can imagine was quite a surprise to his friends and family and people who went to school with him and literally everyone who had ever known him. Um, and so I remember having this conversation with him where I'm like, so, you know, where are you going to do your residency or something like that? And, um, and he tells me something like uh, his plans were no longer to pursue medicine, that instead he was going to pursue his music. And it was like, great. 
you know. And so, and to be fair, Rob is a really good musician. He's probably as good of a musician as he is um, medical student. Um, but uh, I, re- I remember in this conversation um, uh, uh, when he's saying, "I'm not going to be a doctor. I'm going to be a musician," which honestly just sounds bananas, especially if you're a parent. Um, I, it was it was one of those conversations where you realize how very not cool you are in heated situations and how not anxious or how very anxious you are. Because I was I did the like oh cool great 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 great. <laughs> it's a great idea, you know. Like I'm so supportive. This is your music, cool, you know. And so, <laughs> um, so. So he does it. He ends up, he, decide, he decides he, 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 he's not a doctor. And so Rob ends up going on tour with a British uh, band called the Boxer Rebellion. And they tour all over the world, which is absolutely amazing. You know, if you're not going to be a doctor, you might as well tour the world with a band. Um, except <laughs> that he wasn't actually in the band or playing with the band. He was a guitar tech. For the band. I don't know if roadie is a PC term still. Um, is it, Kelsey? Is, okay. Okay. <laughs> so, so his job was tuning guitars and bringing them on stage and stuff like that. And I am not saying that that job is not an important job. It is a very important job. I'm just presenting the story as it happened that he went from being a doctor to a roadie in a matter of literal minutes, um, and just that it's an unexpected and surprising turn of events. And so, um, so he's touring with this band, and the band comes to Maryville to play a show. Uh, again, every layer of this is unexpected and surprising to me. This is bizarre. Um, uh, this band, they play in New York City and L.A. on this tour, uh, Mexico City, Tokyo. Uh, they were in a movie that year. They played South by Southwest, and they were on David Letterman. And, like, they were really doing stuff. And then they came and did a show in Miraville, which, like, we have a great town, but, you know. Usually when you come to Miraville, it's like you used to be big, and then we brought you, you know, like I saw Casey in the Sunshine Band. That's a good example. Or like, you, you know, you used to be something and then the whole town shows up, you know. Anyway, so so Rob, they're going to be in Maryville. They're going to be at the Clayton Center. And so Rob calls and asks uh, uh, Daniel and, and Brad and I if, if we will come see his band at the Clayton Center. He says his mom's buying tickets and they're box seats. Um, and at this point, I'm not like a super, I'm not like a big fan of the band, um, but I, I do love Rob, so, you know, I want to support him. And to be honest, I will watch anyone and anything from a box seat. <laughs> like, I love that, that, the gross part of me loves the stature of like, oh, oh, are you in the regular seats? I'm in the box, you know, like, it's, it's fine. I don't know how I got here. You know, like the, the false humility of the box seat, I, I absolutely love it. And, I mean, I would watch wrestling from a box seat. No offense, Michael. But I, I, I would do it. Okay, so um, anyway, so we, we go to the Clayton Center, and it was brand new at the time, and it was so beautiful. And we meet up in the lobby with Rob's mom uh, to get our tickets. And that's when we realize that we are going to be sitting in a box with Rob's family. Um, and by that, I mean his parents, which is awesome, his aunt and uncle, and his grandparents, which is great you know, they're coming to the concert. And so that was wonderful. And so we go to the box and we get our seats. And that's when I realized like Brad and Daniel kind of beeline for their seats. And then I end up in one and I realized that I'm, it is Brad, Daniel, me, Edna, Opal. 
So I'm sitting next to the grandparents. It is my husband and my friend and Edna and Opal, whom I absolutely adore, but are not your typical rock concert enthusiasts. Um, and so Edna brought a blanket, like a knit throw, and to share if I wanted it, and um, <laughs> which was just very thoughtful. And Opal brought earplugs that she was handing out. Lindsay, do you want some? No, no. Everyone can see me in the box, so no thank you. Um, and so I'm, I'm sitting there in this moment thinking, what on earth is this? Like, what have I even come to? I'm at a concert about to watch my friend, who is not a doctor, carry out guitars for this wild British rock band and that I'm not even sure I like. And I'm sandwiched between Daniel, Brad, Opal, and Edna underneath the comfy blanket with, and I forgot to mention the earplugs are bright orange. They're the hunting kind you get in like a hundred pack, you know? Okay. It's just not what I expected. It is not how expected the evening would play out. And so then um, the opening act comes out, and y'all... Again, I don't know what I was expecting for this evening, but it was not this. Uh, the opening act comes out, and it was a local band, and I, I'll be honest, I don't remember anything about their music other than at one point wishing I had accepted the earplugs. Um, um, and, and, and the reason I think I don't remember anything about the music is because what they did on stage was far more memorable. Um, their act consisted of slowly covering themselves in fake blood to become zombies on stage by the end of their last song. And they, their fans did too. They had rows of fans sitting in the front row of the absolutely beautiful Clayton Center. If you're, you've ever been there, just put yourself in that moment. And they are covered, dousing themselves in fake blood. Um, and I can't look at Brad and Daniel for fear. I will never stop laughing. And I can't stop looking at Edna and Opal. <laughs> Like, what are they thinking? And so the, the set ends, and uh, when their songs are done, Edna looks at Opal, and in, uni in unison, they said, well, that was interesting. <laughs> Which is Southern for what on earth just happened? <laughs> That's the worst thing I've ever seen. Um, and so at this point in the evening, I am just so overwhelmed with what's happening. Um, not one thing has played out in any way that I expected. And honestly, I'm thinking that this has been so bizarre uh, that I don't have any expectations for anything better to come along because what I've witnessed so far is just perfect in all of its surprises. Um, and then all the lights go off. And it, it's time for, like, the main act. And that's, I love, I talked about it a few weeks ago. I love that moment, the moment before the moment. Like, the silent moment with all of the lights off. And then, like, what breaks the silence is, like, there's just this strum of a guitar. And then the lights flash on, and they're hot, and they're white. And once again, a very unexpected thing happens to me. And I spend the next hour or two, or however long they played, I don't know, um, on the literal edge of my seat. Like, just trying to get closer and closer to the music. I took in every sound and every beat and every moment. I, I loved it. Daniel had made me listen to this band, uh, their CDs in his truck, and I thought they were fine. But in an awfully surprising twist, uh, it turned out that they were incredible. It's like, it, it, it is hands down the best show I've ever seen. I've seen some big shows in some great places. It's the best thing I've ever seen. I sat in a sparsely attended concert hall full of zombies next to Edna and Opal, and I watched my friend that was supposed to be a doctor bring out guitars to this band playing music that I never wanted to end, and it was absolutely unexpected. It was an evening 
full of surprises. And um, maybe the biggest surprise was that it ended up being so good. Like, so, so good. Uh, And even though the details uh, are totally different than the text that we read this morning, I think that uh, that thing that I was feeling inside me, that, that, that surprise that I was feeling inside me, that confusion, the unexpected delight, it has to be close to what uh, happened that day that Matthew records in his gospel on the Jordan River, that day in Matthew chapter 3, where the scene isn't really anything like anybody expected it to be. It's a scene full of uh, surprises, full of the unexpected. Uh, It's a scene that has confused, uh, it it confused the people that are in it. It's a scene that continues to uh, confuse Bible scholars today and all throughout time. Uh, And it's a scene that I think invites us to learn in this new way uh, this morning how to be surprised by Jesus, how to um, expect the unexpected when it comes to Jesus. Uh, N.T. Wright says that the baptism of Jesus is the equivalent of showing up to like a grand concert hall or stadium and expecting a full orchestra playing anthemic battle music, um, like a big, huge music and a big, huge show. But instead... When the lights come on, the most regular-looking person comes out on stage with a tiny flute, not even a big flute, a tiny flute, and just plays all alone. It's an unexpected surprise, and one that I think if we take the time to see and to listen to, we will find uh, that that tiny flute plays the music that we have known um, within us all of our lives, the music of our lives and the music of our soul uh, played in this unexpected way. So, as I said, uh, Bible scholars are a bit all over the place about uh, why Jesus gets baptized. Um, it doesn't make much sense on the surface for Jesus to be baptized. Um, it's absolutely an unexpected turn of events in his life. Uh, baptism is universally an act of repentance and reconciliation. And so, earlier, if you uh, read a few verses before what we read today, John the Baptist. Um, He says he has come to baptize people in repentance as they turn to God. But Jesus, Jesus, this perfect son of God, he has no need for repentance and he has no need for reconciliation. Uh, Jesus, he lived perfectly and in complete communion with the Father at all times. Uh, Campbell Morgan says if Jesus wasn't sinless, then we have no gospel. Then the story makes no sense whatsoever. And so if you think about it, this act of of repentance, this act of reconciliation, it is completely unexpected in the life of Jesus. So I think that's why scholars have all kinds of theories about why Jesus did it. Like, why would he get baptized if if the point is to be an outward symbol of us becoming right with God and he was already right with God? Um, Some scholars think it's as simple as, uh, like, uh, an instructive act, that Jesus got baptized because he thinks we need to get baptized, and so he did it to show us how to do it. Um, But Camel Morgan, who I've already quoted, a theologian I love, he says that that's belittling the beauty of the event, that Jesus wasn't simply instructing us, that there was more uh, going on. Augustine, who's one of the mystics I talked about last week, he, he believed that Jesus went into the water uh, to make the water holy for us. He says it like this. He says, water is subtle and penetrating in its own nature, made yet more so by Christ's blessing. It touches the hidden springs of life, the secret places of the soul, by virtue of its all-pervading dew. That, that Jesus went into the water to, to clean it for us, to make it holy 
for us. Uh, uh, Frederick Beekner, when he talks about baptism, he says that, that the, the, the water of baptism is a symbol that we have been cleaned from anything in us that is less than human. Anything in us that is less than human. And so maybe it is that Jesus went into the water to make it clean for us, that it washes away anything, a symbol of washing away anything in us that is less than human. I think that's a great thought. Other scholars uh, believe that Jesus was baptized, not necessarily to clean the water, but that he was baptized in solidarity with humans and with sinners with, uh, as part of his human nature. Uh, Jesus, like us, was born and lived and ate and drank and slept and lived life fully human in solidarity to, uh, with us. And so scholars think that maybe baptism was just a continuing of that act of solidarity, a, a statement of the humanity of Jesus amidst the divine. And, and I think that's a great idea, too. And then still other scholars believe that maybe the baptism of Jesus was not um, just instructional or cleansing or solidarity, but maybe that it was um, sort of like an inauguration um, as he began his ministry. If you keep reading beyond what we read in Matthew, Jesus, he walks out of the Jordan River and he heads to the desert to be tempted and then he goes directly into his earthly ministry. And so um, scholars think maybe baptism was like for Jesus, it was more of like a launching um, moment or, or a starting out point for all of the great that he was about to do. Uh, so scholars see it as sort of like a sealing or an inauguration, a blessing uh, from the Father and the Spirit uh, in the water as Jesus begins uh, the thing that he was born to do, uh, the thing that Jesus, the Jesus Storybook Bible calls the secret rescue plan. And I think that's a great idea, too. I like all of these ideas. And so I, I think that the answer to why Jesus got baptized might, um, or the unexpected reasons for Jesus to get baptized, I think it lies somewhere in all three theories. That's sort of my, um, uh, people sometimes will come say, oh, do you think it's this or this, like Bible theologies or things like that? And I feel like I always disappoint everyone because I'm like, probably somewhere in the middle. You know, like that's, that's kind of an answer when, when you're looking at the scripture and the way people interpret it. It's usually somewhere in between, uh, usually somewhere in the middle. And I, and I think that's the truth here. Uh, two chapters before this story, uh, we have an angel who comes to Joseph and he tells him about Jesus. Joseph is Jesus' father. And the angel comes and he says, you will have a son and he will be born and he will be called Emmanuel, God with us. That's what Emmanuel means, God with us. And I think that the baptism of Jesus, it's, it's a surprising and unexpected move in the fulfillment of that very thing. A surprising and unexpected move in, in, in the thought of Emmanuel, in God with us. In our text today, it has Jesus walking up to John uh, to be baptized. And John is confused. He argues, why, why would I do that? Like, why would I baptize you? You should be baptizing me. And he's so confused, and, and Jesus responds, uh, this is how Eugene Peterson <laughs> says it in his version of the Bible. He says, Jesus responds, do it. God's work for centuries of putting things back together is coming together in this moment and in this baptism. John is confused, and Jesus says, just do it. This, this is the moment that all that God has been working toward is about to culminate, is about to begin. Um, as my friend Father Doug says, uh, Jesus in this moment steps directly into the declaration of John. Jesus, the Emmanuel, in a great act of witness, 
of being with John steps directly into his protest and directly into his confusion. It's one of the things that he does. I I feel like I grew up um, feeling so much shame and guilt for being confused about Jesus at times or or for for questioning Jesus at times. And, And what we see in the scriptures is that Jesus over and over and over again, he walks directly into the confusion of people. So the word uh, baptism, it means immersion. It means uh, to be completely covered, to be uh, submerged from head to toe. And uh, I'm not making like a theological stance about how you should get baptized as much as I'm saying what the word means. So um, so it means to be completely uh, submerged. And so uh, Jesus in this moment, he's not just preparing the water for us. He's also submerging himself in it. He's submerging himself in the water, um, uh, getting started the plan of God that, that, uh, that, that being with us, he might cleanse us of the parts of us that seem less than human. And that he might declare himself with us and for us, setting into motion the rescue and the reconciliation of God. Uh, I'm not sure anyone expected how very Emmanuel the Emmanuel would be. I'm not sure anyone expected how very with us God would actually allow his son to be. In this moment, Jesus, who is perfect and sinless, uh, in, in a great act of with, puts himself in the hands of a sinner. Jesus, who is sinless, he, in a great act of with, puts himself in the hands of a sinner who submerges him into the water. Jesus, he's inaugurating the rescue of God while being held by hands that needed rescue. And he is submerged by John into the delight and the glory of the Father, into the power and the mission of the Spirit uh, that he had always been part of. But this moment is also submerging him into the fullness of the human experience, the unexpected God with us. Uh, It's a moment that reminds us uh, of the human and the holy of Jesus. As Barbara Brown Taylor says, Emmanuel means God with us. God who is Jesus, who is made out of the same stuff we are, and who is made out of the same stuff God is, and who will not let either one of us go. Jesus, full of the same stuff of God and the same stuff of man, puts himself in the place of the people and immerses himself in place of the people. It means that if you've been baptized, that Jesus has been baptized with you, not just in a way of instruction, but as the Emmanuel. It means that the water offers us uh, something submersive and something immersive and something bigger and uh, than any water, mysterious and powerful and shared and binding and glory. It's an unexpected thing. Uh, the people of God uh, expected that when Jesus came that he would be this king on a throne and that he would be full of power, that he would come with a sword in his fist and war on his tongue. But instead, uh, they got an unexpected alternative, a man who entered the story uh, not just for us but with us, submerged in water and glory and divine and human all at the same time. Uh, Beekner calls that the wild hope of salvation, that Jesus might truly be with us. So before we close up, I just want to talk about um, briefly what happens as Jesus comes out of the water. Two more unexpected things happen at the end of the verses. The first is that the voice of God um, kind of booms on the scene. 
Um, At this point, no one had heard God's audible voice for over 400 years. The voice of God, after 400 years of silence, comes and says um, the best words. He says, this is my beloved boy. I am pleased with him. The voice of God, after 400 years of silence, echoes over the water, and he says, mine. That boy, he is mine. Jesus, fully man and yet fully divine, able not just to be for us, but also with us, empowered by God to be the great hope of all of the world, claimed by and affirmed by the Father to be his own son. And then a second unexpected thing happens. Uh, the, the, the last few verses tells us that the spirit settles over the water and it lands on the sun as a dove. And there are so many surprises in that. My first question is, is this an actual dove or like a ghost dove? Or do people think it was cool or scary? I don't know. Um, also in this list of the surprises, uh, at this moment, um, it, is, it is the one time in all of the scriptures that we have the Father, the Son, and the Spirit all existing in the same minute. It's a, it's a huge deal. And then um, there, there's this picture of the dove in the Old Testament. Uh, and I think that the, the, the spirit showing up as a dove uh, matters. In the Old Testament, under the sacrificial system, uh, the people of God would bring an animal offering, like a sin offering, to the temple in order to be made right with God. They would bring an animal that they would sacrifice in order to put them in uh, the right place with God. Um, but on the surface, this sort of surface, this sort of looked like a like a class system. Like the wealthiest and most powerful uh, people brought the wealthiest and most powerful animals. They would bring like bulls or really powerful, uh, expensive things. And then the middle class, they would bring a little like they would bring a lamb. Um, But it was the poor and the lowly who could not afford anything else who would bring a dove to be made right with God. And so in an unexpected way, the Spirit of God, the very breath and power of God descends on on the Son as a dove, as a picture of humility. It's like an announcement. Uh, That the reconciliation of God, that it won't come with the power of war or vindication, but that it will come in humility and hope and peace. It's a picture of the king that no one expected, humble, not just for us, but with us. And so when I think about this story in the context of Epiphany, in the context of looking at Jesus with with fresh eyes and new light, I think maybe that the challenge uh, for us is either... Um, to learn how to or to remember how to be surprised by Jesus. How to be, uh, expect the unexpected when it comes to Jesus. That he comes to carry out the plans of God, not the plans of us, in ways that confused even John the Baptist. Ways that are confusing and, and unexpected. That he is with us in surprising ways and in surprising Places. Jesus, he doesn't always uh, play the music that we expect him to or show up in the places or the company that we might imagine. Uh, Jesus, he often shows up in our lives like the player of the small flute when you're expecting a full orchestra or like a precious old lady with a blanket and earplugs at a rock concert. He will not always play the music that we expect, but I think if we can wake up to the idea That we have been offered a seat at the table of the God who is with us and for us, immersed in our world and full of surprise. Then we might uh, reimagine what it means to have 
uh, what we talked about last week, eyes and ears and hearts that would learn uh, how to hear the music, to see and experience and participate in the kingdom of God at work all over our world. Uh, to me, lastly, to me, the greatest uh, surprise of all of this is that uh, the affirmation of the Father and the empowering of the Spirit with Jesus in the water, that it also comes to us. Uh, one of my favorite verses in the Bible says, God made he who knew no sin to become our sin uh, on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God. That because of the life and the death of Jesus, we uh, uh, get to hear the affirmation of the Father, that he looks at us, that it echoes over our lives. That boy is mine, and that girl is mine, my beloved, of whom I am well pleased. It, it is the surprise of life that God would be pleased with me. I, I'm sure he's pleased with you. But it's the surprise of my life that he would be pleased with me. That God would want us, would call us his own, would affirm us, and that the Spirit uh, would hover over us all of our days, inviting us and empowering us to do the work of the kingdom of God. If I were God, I would pick a little better person. Uh, the band can come on up. Um, we're going to do something a little different. Andrew, where are you? Andrew. Um, I, okay, this, this is going to require action from you. Um, uh, at this point in the service, every week we uh, do so, something we call Selah. It's just a, a, a word. It's my joke every week. We did not steal the word from Kanye. We stole the word from King David. And um, it's just a, a moment in the Psalms where uh, it's just like a quiet and holy pause. So we do this every week. Uh, we just want to take a breath um, before we move on too quickly. And um, normally there are verses on the screen, um, but I'm going to do something different. There's a painting in my sermon slides. Will you just uh, put that up for Selah? We're just going to take a few minutes instead of verses being on the screen. Um, we're gonna, I'm going to put this painting up. Um, it's by a Russian artist uh, named Alexander Ivanov. And um, Ivanov, he, he was a Russian painter, and he felt called to paint the baptism of Jesus. And um, so he, he had painted loads of other things, and so he was just going to do this painting. And what ended up happening was this painting, um, uh, he, he quite literally gave his life to this painting. Um, it took him 20 years to complete, um, and, and it's a story worth reading. You should Google it. Alexander Ivanov, it's spelled like Ivanov. Um, and, and so the, <laughs> Ivanov, what he did is, is he starts doing this painting and then he gets so into it that he ends up losing all of his money and all of the respect of his friends and his family and his contemporaries. He quite um, literally, as he dies, hands the painting over when it's finally done. And, um, and he had one friend left, and this friend was a, a, a writer, a Russian writer, and, and he wrote about Ivanov that he said, in order for him to uh, paint Jesus walking up to the water, that Ivanov had to learn how to be with the Jesus that he believed was with us. That for, it took him 20 years to get it out on the canvas because for 20 years he tried to imagine what it would be like to actually be with the Jesus that he believed was with him. Uh, and so we'll just put it on the screen. If you don't want to look at it, you don't have to. You can close your eyes and take a minute. Um, but it might surprise you. Um, so uh, I'm going to ask you two questions and then we'll pray just as you look. Um, the first question is, what would it mean for God to be with you? What would it mean in your life? And then the second thing is, uh, when was the last time that you were surprised by God? 
and, and, and if it's been a long time, what would it look like for you to be surprised by God? Um, I'm going to pray for us, and then we'll just be quiet for a minute. God, we thank you that you are ever for us and ever with us. I thank you that, um, Jesus, that you dared to go into the water, not just to show us what to do, um, but to be with us in the cleansing, in the hope, in the divine, in the glory. I thank you that for your people, that baptism is, is a symbol that we have been cleansed of whatever is less than human. And so I pray in these next few minutes, um, I pray that you give us the courage to be surprised by you, the courage to find you in unexpected places. In your name we pray, amen.